Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of Telekinesis, a sheltering in place podcast. I'm here with my producer, Casey Johnson. Hey, Casey. Hello. Oh, we messed up the timing. We've done six episodes, and the, the timing of that hello was like, we, we missed each other almost. Too soon. I know. It's been a while since I've said it, so I feel like my tone was off. Yeah. I don't think that's ever happened with Ed McMahon and Johnny Carson. Um, but uh, welcome to episode six. And uh, today, I'm very happy to have a special guest in Lauren Pierce. Hey, Lauren. Hi. And Lauren, you, you are uh, the head of people at Connecticut. Yes. Let's, let's talk about that for a second, because you and I have had conversations about what your title is and like the whole human resources to people to who knows what. Yeah. Any thoughts there? Uh, titles are a funny thing. Um, some people are very, very, I would say titles are right there with compensation, if not more serious for a lot of people. But yeah, and I think in this industry, there's a big shift away from the human resources nomenclature that can elicit almost this old fashioned kind yep. of old school governance, you know, rule setting type of function. And as I think this, whatever you want to call it, people HR function has evolved, that name might not necessarily fit with it so well. Yeah. Um, I yeah, feel like so human resources. People and things like that. Yeah. Team, you know, you just hear different, people are trying to get very creative with the names now. I feel like the term human resources makes me feel like I'm a coal miner or a piece of coal. Right. Whereas like head of people <laughs> sounds, yeah. sounds a little bit more friendly. Yeah. No, I agree. I like it. I think it's a good shift. Yeah. And so, so Casey and I were talking because, you know, um, we've uh, so far interviewed some customers, some partners. Um, we've had some of the um, different folks internally. But we thought it'd be interesting to have you on to uh, do a telekinesis podcast because with this whole sheltering in place thing that's happening these days, um, you're kind of in like unmarked territory in terms of like how you navigate this and, and what it means and all the, the things around the thoughtfulness that has to go into thinking through how to run a company in these crazy days. It's a whole new world. Yes, there is there is no um, white paper on this one. Really? So when you uh, studied to get into the realm of, uh, um, you know, people, um, there was no class on pandemics? Yeah, how to manage through a pandemic. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. That was not a part of the syllabus. Yeah. And so, so where where did you start? Did you start in 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 the um, this space or, or um what, no your, i'm a um your origin story yeah i think what they call it now is a second life mm-hmm. um yeah so i actually started um i was in college i was i went to business school as an undergrad and mm-hmm. i studied finance and economics so very different than mm-hmm. hr and actually went into consulting for that um and then i switched i moved to a company called morningstar that's out of chicago yeah. Um, which it's a financial research company, kind of like a small Bloomberg, if you will. If you have a 401k, you're probably familiar with Morningstar and what we do, or what, cool. we, what I, we did there. Um, but Morningstar was really progressive and it's HR and it's people strategy, especially mm-hmm. for, you know, a B2B financial research company. 
And um, that's when I was working at Morningstar, I moved into the, I realized very quickly that, you know, working in finance wasn't for me or consulting. I learned a lot, a lot of things I still use to this day, even in this job, but um, quickly realized that wasn't for me. And then when I was at Morningstar, um, worked actually in our client service, the like client service, um, professional services um, side of the business and really kind of grew my career there. Um, and at the end was leading like our global practice there. Um, and that's when our I um, had really a mentor and the chief of HR there. And she was the one that really encouraged me to kind of more formally start to shift um, from the business side, since I'd had that, you know, kind of learning, if you will, um, over to the HR. And I think Morningstar was progressive. Now you see this more, but a lot, if you look at their HR staff now, and that's how actually she was not from HR either. Um, a lot of the people on their HR team are people that, that didn't start out in HR per se. They started out more on the quote unquote business side. Right. And learned that part of it and then moved over. They felt their mantra was very much like, you'll be much better at leading people if you understand what it's like to be in their shoes. Yeah. I mean, you, know, you can kind of learn the HR ops piece of it yeah. pretty easily. Um, but the other side of it's much harder to learn if you never have that experience. Um, yeah. I think that there's a kind of a logical connection from finance and kind of business to kind of organizational behavior and Exactly. Well, especially like you, and you also will find in the HR space that people a lot of times will have like professional service client success type roles because mm -hmm. your employees are your clients once you shift over. I mean, I still have that mindset in a lot of ways, you know, yeah. um, and I wouldn't trade that for that background for anything because it definitely gives me, helps me for provide insight, I think, um, than if I had just gone to HR immediately, you know, out of school and only been in HR my entire career. So, yeah. Right. And so, so from Morningstar, you kind of um, got looped into an interesting opportunity. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, <laughs> this is where I definitely had a shift. Um, I was what, actually in the world of quote unquote HR, I was what they call a trailing spouse. My husband was um, given an opportunity. We were living in Chicago and he was given an opportunity um, in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. um, and so we felt... Um, it was with an airline there and we felt that it was kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity to live um, abroad. And we moved very quickly actually from Chicago to Abu Dhabi. And while I was living there, I was actually still working with Morningstar because um, we had offices all over Europe and actually an office in Dubai. Um, but when I was there, the Special Olympics, um, Abu Dhabi was named the host city for the 2019 Special Olympic World Games. Um, and the CEO came over and he was actually from DC and, um, was looking for like at the very beginning, a very small core team to help get it off the ground. And, um, just Abu Dhabi is a small place and had heard that there was a girl from Chicago that did something similar to that. And, um, so, um, got an interview with them and that's when, you know, I, shifted from Morningstar to start working for the Special Olympic World Games. So like how, uh, how much of a sh culture shift was that? Not only being in Abu Dhabi, but then also to, you know, this, this world of uh, the Special Olympics versus kind of corporate America. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a shift. Um, I think it was from a people perspective, you know, you talk about like connecting people to the mission of your company. I mean, that was amazing because it's not hard to sell the um, 
mission of Special Olympics, you know, be brave in the attempt. That's their mantra. And that part was so easy coming from a, you know, it's hard to sell people on financial mutual fund readings mm-hmm. <laughs> and get people jazzed about that. I think Morningstar does a good job of it, actually, considering what they do. But, yeah. um, you know, go, shifting to that was was interesting. Um, but the biggest cultural shift was that, you know, I'd worked with like an international company that was, you know, in the... Um, kind of the zone in the Middle East where you didn't really, you had to abide by British law and not by the local law. And when we were, I was actually, I was working for the Special Olympic World Games, but it was like a hybrid governance with also the Crown Prince Court. So we also directly reported into His Highness and, you know, his team really oversaw us as well. So we had dual reporting in that regard. So that was definitely at times like an out-of-body experience, you know, reporting both into the team from D.C. with Special Olympics, but then also to, yeah, you know, the the, the crown prince. Yeah. And did you get exposed? I mean, this is kind of interesting, but how much did you know about kind of the community tied to Special Olympics? And like, had you had a lot of exposure to like, I don't even know what the word is. Is it like able ableism or like the like just the perceptions and misperceptions and all that kind of stuff that people have about body people versus. I'd had a bit of it um, because in Chicago, that's really where it was like, they had where they had the first world games. So it's Mm -hmm. Chicago is a really strong special Olympics Mm -hmm. program there. Um, So it had exposure there, but in the middle East, like what we call, um, you know, like that concept of inclusion and um, they call people with intellectual disabilities, they're people of determination. That was like something that we did during the games Mm -hmm. was changed, you know, how like that's, that translates better um, to Arabic Um, was, I mean, there it was very much going back, I would say, where we were 100 years ago in the U.S., where mm-hmm. if you went out, you know, in somewhere in Dubai, and especially when you get to the smaller countries, you never saw anyone with disabilities, um, whether it be physical or intellectual, um, because people were, they were hidden. Um, it was not, it was, it was not okay. Um, and that was one of the reasons why um, Abu Dhabi, they really wanted to, to do that. It was really important them to change the perceptions yeah. and to bring people kind of out. And they felt that by having the games and by having, um, you know, it is a monarchy there. And so by having his highness behind it, when he goes out and he hugs someone, a person of determination, then that makes it okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, um, it, that was one of the most rewarding parts about the experience because you could see the tangible difference from when we yeah. started to when we finished in terms of the inclusion there. Yeah. yeah. So se- separate of the work experience and work knowledge, do you feel like it changed you in terms of your perceptions and assumptions and all that, that kind of stuff? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have a negative perception, but I just, did, I hadn't been around people of intellectual disability that much. Yeah. So then, you know, we, um, we integrated them into our workforce, mm-hmm. you know, um, that was really important to me as someone leading people that we didn't just, we weren't just putting on this event. We needed to ensure that we hired people with intellectual disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as you know, you would expect, like, they're incredibly capable. I mean, they added so much value and really, I think, moved the needle for so many people on our team in terms of understanding that. Mm-hmm. Um, they all were, they were probably the most high in demand in terms of getting jobs mm-hmm. um, when the games were over. Um, so absolutely. And it, and it showed me the power of inclusion in your workforce. Mm-hmm. 
no doubt. And so when, when, uh, what years were you doing, doing that? Yeah, I started, it was really from like, um, the beginning of 2000, um, 17 through August of last year. Yeah. Wow. And so, so then you came back to the States and, and, uh, jumped back to, uh, corporate America with, with Connecticut. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, there was not <laughs> the Special Olympics. I can volunteer here, but there was, was not a full-time role mm-hmm. um, in this area. They're based out of DC. Um, yeah. So when I came back to um, the US, I was interviewing. And actually, my connection to Connecticut is through the Special Olympics. Um, you know, one of our um, board members, Ray Lane, is also on the board of the Special of Special Olympics International. Mm-hmm. Um, and his daughter is heavily, heavily involved in Special Olympics. And um, so he went to the, came to the games in Abu Dhabi mm-hmm. and um, was really impressed with what we did. Um, and so when I moved to the Bay Area, he um, very kindly met me for coffee. And, you know, he, um, we talked about the games and, you know, about we, what we had done there. And he thought I'd be a great fit at one of the companies, you know, one of the great, one of the companies in Great Points portfolio. Right. Yeah. So that was like, my, that's how I came yeah, to Connecticut. But I did feel that, you know, what you learned, I wish everyone in corporate America could have an experience in a major event. Because yeah. I, def, you know, I definitely think going through that when you have that really defined timeline, immovable timeline, you definitely learn a lot that you can bring back to a more, you know, corporate America type office. Right, and and you thought you were going to come back to, uh, um, you know, corporate America, jump into a job where you're like, I know how to do this. I'm a whole hand out of this. <laughs> no more twenty then, hour days. <laughs> and then and then the uh, the pandemic hits and the whole world is turned upside down. Right. So how's, how is, um, what are the biggest um, takeaways so far you have in terms of just uh, what's going on? I mean, like starting, I guess it started in um, bubbling up for us in terms of talking about it, like January, February. Yeah. And then by March, was it March where we went into shelter in place? Yeah. I mean, we sent our first email about it, actually, Daniel, when we had our kickoff. So we sent an email about it. That was my first email to all of the employees was in January. And it was um, just reminding because, you know, we'd had people flying from all over the world. Just, you know, I think letting everyone know that we were aware. Mm -hmm. At that time, the World Health Organization was very lax about what it was. But we were just reminding everyone, wash your hands Mm -hmm. if you feel sick, you know, things like that. So our first email, I have to look back at the date, but it was that night before the kickoff started. Um, yeah. And then by the beginning of March, we, I was writing the email. I mean, obviously we'd had subsequent, you know, it was that kind of, then we wrote an email about travel and then we wrote an, you know, we have, and then we went into the shelter in place and closed the offices. Yeah. 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 I mean, in terms of the biggest takeaway, I think it's just, you know, we just have to do what's right for Connecticut and what's right for our employees and stay focused on that and not what everyone else is doing. Yeah. But uh, what's right for another company might not be what's right for us, yeah. what's right for our employees. And so just keeping that in front of mind, which I think we've done. And I commend the ELT team, you know, and, and Paul for that, because that has not been tough for us to do, you know. And do you, are, are there like um, external groups that you're like following or reading or joining to like learn about how others and at other companies are kind of handling this? Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of um, 
podcast and groups mm -hmm. um, that we've joined um, from our attorneys, which actually have been great at just advising um, on like return to work and best practices, but bringing together, you know, their clients. Yeah. So, you know, that's been helpful, but also just various like, you know, there's, you know, like the HR society, which I read every morning. Um, and then even part of our tech stack, like, yeah. you know, Sequoia and Culture Amp and Signet, you know, like we, yes. I think I've done, like, we've done a lot of roundtables and things like that, just learning, um, you know, everything from just how to, how do you, how are you keeping your employees engaged to, like I said, return to work, mm -hmm. best practices, um, you know, how to communicate and survey and all of that. So it's definitely been so interesting. You know, it is like a, this, it'll be interesting, the business case and what we, they write about this and how they teach about it when it's over. But um, yes, it's been a lot. Like we have spent, a, I would say I've spent a significant, significant amount of time just trying to keep up with everything, you know, since we've shifted over to make sure that I can be that point person at Connecticut, you know, to answer yeah. questions and make sure I'm staying on top of it. It's, it's bizarre. I, I, today, after a meeting, I was like, okay, I'm going to take 20 minutes and walk. So I, I have a coffee shop, like just a couple of blocks from my yeah. house. And I put on my mask and started walking over there. And it just now feels like the new normal. Like it's, it's almost hard to remember what it's like to be in the office and going down and buying lunch with people or going to grab a coffee and do a meeting. Um, it, feels like the new normal. Like I, I, I've, I've, I'm, it's kind of creepy that I've grown accustomed to kind of staying away from people wearing a mask. <laughs> right. Right. With 22 days to form a habit. Right. So we're, we're well up beyond that. Yeah. I mean, it's the, I guess the resilience of people. Yeah, sure. Quite, quite amazing. And, and to see how, how the world is responding to this. Yeah, absolutely. I think our team's done a great job with, <laughs> how we've shifted. It's been just, yeah, for everyone, but we were very lucky in terms of the work that we do and how quickly we could adapt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think the whole work culture is shifting. I mean, I go back to like 2004, 2005, I was at Sun Microsystems mm -hmm. and they were so far ahead in terms of building infrastructure and applications for remote work. It was, it was quite amazing. It's almost like all the software that they built to manage it was essentially like you could have spun that off and, and spun up the equivalent of a WeWork with the software and tools that they had. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're so far ahead, but now it's like uh, you look at things with Zoom and, you know, even things like LinkedIn and, and how you're driving meetings and interaction. Um, the digital workforce is uh, <laughs> more important than ever. Right, right. We're calling it the dynamic workforce because hopefully dynamic. we'll have, we'll be able to at some point have some interaction, right? Or have some, some people back in the office, but right. But a lot of people will continue to be remote, yeah. right? So it's not one or the other. That's the new, that's the new HR language, the dynamic workforce. Dynamic workforce. And, and now we're coming into the summer where you have all these folks that have children that don't have camp signed up for yet or, and it's not clear if camp's going to happen. Right. Uh, so I guess you guys have to be thinking about that and, and how that all works. And yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the guiding principles is that flexibility is key and it's mm -hmm. not one size fits all, you yeah. know, and 
to try to, to try to do that would really be unfair to our employees because we all have different situations. We all have different priorities and, you know, everyone has a unique, whether if you're, you know, people that have roommates, mm-hmm. they, you know, got a room with roommates because they figured, oh, I'll be in the office and on the weekend I'll travel. And now they've been working out of their bedroom for over two months. And then there's someone has children that don't have camp, you know, like the spectrum of challenges of this is such a range that that's why you just have to really, like I said, put employees first and their needs are all going to be different, you know, yeah. do our best to make sure we understand that. Do you, do you feel like you have a clear line of sight of like 30 days from now, what it's going to be like and how to plan ahead for that? Or do you think it's still more like flying by the seat of the pants of like, as things pop up, you have to make quick decisions and have good processes in place for analyzing and, and moving forward? Yeah, I think, you know, I, yeah, I think in the, I would say maybe in the next 60 days, we could mm-hmm. think a lot of, you know, what we're trying to do now is focus right on just, making sure that we have the right, like everyone knows where to go to get the right information. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we'd always had like an intranet at Connecticut, but it wasn't widely used. I think just the way our work was set up, we didn't, we were so small that we didn't need, right. The same type of communication platform that, you know, a Salesforce or a, a giant corporation would need. But now we're seeing that because we're distributed and remote workforce that we do need something like that. So I think, understanding, you know, what that looks like and how we have things documented so that people can go and get answers and that we can start to provide more concrete timelines. I mean, I think we're always, you know, I don't think I wouldn't even say a year from now we could say that because we see how quickly the world can change. Yes. So we're always going to have to be adapting. But I think that's what, I think the key is to give ourselves the tools to make ourselves nimble so that as we change and things happen rapidly, we can quickly do that. Right. And you know. that's why uh, you're going to be recommending to Paul that we buy Nintendo Switches for every employee at Connecticut. <laughs> well, my kids would love that. Yeah. Um, so, I, hey, I think there's one other thing that I thought would be interesting to touch on because I, I thought it was pretty cool. Like you, you recently rolled out the whole concept of a wellness day mm-hmm. at Connecticut. And I know all kinds of companies are, are rolling out all different types of ways of doing self-care and making sure people are not just like sitting in front of their screens and actually thinking about like, hey, how do I feel today? How do I take care of myself to kind of get through work, do work really well, but also make sure that I'm good and my family's good and I'm safe and all that kind of stuff. What was the thinking behind the wellness day? Like, how do you come to that? that Yeah, well, a little bit of the thinking was just that we have, you know, like what we call our COVID task force that we chat once a week. Um, Similar, I would say this reminds, you know, maybe not as formal as it was like in a major event, but, you know, I come to the email saying like, here's a status check on these things. And, um, you know, and there, you know, myself and our CEO, like we would have meant that we would have like hard days. We were having Zoom fatigue, like, you know, this was tough. And then we did a survey just on like to check in, like on how people felt about like our response was. And we had a couple open-ended questions at the end. And we had a really, really good response where people were, I feel like, really honest mm-hmm. about, you know, we asked like how they were feeling, what could, you know, do you have any suggestions? And I went through and read all of, you know, we had obviously the data from the survey, which was great, but I went through and read all of them. And people not people didn't necessarily say I need a day off. They didn't call it out in that manner. But everyone, you know, there were people that were really honest, like I'm struggling, like, yeah, like I'm doing e-learning for three hours and then I'm jumping on calls. Mm-hmm. I'm struggling to get sleep. And then, like I said, on the other end, people were saying, you know, 
it's, I, I'm in, I feel isolation because, you know, I'm working out of my bedroom, which I never expected to with roommates. I barely know, you know? And so I just said, you know, I think we just need to say to everyone, pick a day and take that day to do whatever it is that you need to do to relax. If that's watching Netflix all day, that's great. If that's going for a walk, that's great. Like we didn't want to put anything to it. I didn't want to tie it to a Slack channel because I wanted no strings attached to it, you know, just to really take the day. And so I think, um, that was, that was helpful. And I'm glad that, um, you know, I'm, I think it's great when we have a leadership team that can be honest to be like, this is really hard. And you know, one of our all hands, I think we were honest by saying we have days that we struggle and we got feedback from our employees to say, thank you for saying that out loud because it helps to hear that everyone has hard days. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I appreciate our employees are honest with us to say, they weren't saying it to be critical of us. They were just saying like, this is really hard and I'm feeling some fatigue. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, and we felt like, okay, what can we do something that's really fast and free essentially and it's just to say, take a day. Yep. You know, like I said, no strings attached, take a day. Um, and so I thought that was like a really quick way that we could do something to address that. And we've gotten great feedback on it that people have really, you know, really done it. And I'm actually tracking it <laughs> to make sure yeah. that it's happening for everyone. But yeah, yeah. That, that's where that came from. So Casey and I were talking, any way we could get your support behind a wellness month? <laughs> yeah, I would love that. I will say after my wellness day, I thought, hmm, I could need another wellness day. <laughs> but... <laughs> I thought thought maybe one of the ways to uh, wrap up the podcast, I I want to do rapid fire questions. Okay. And it's rapid fire in two ways. One, I'm making up the questions as I go along. Um, They are not written. So it's rapid fire for me as well. Um, But I'm kind of curious of your, your answers as well. So first and foremost, rapid fire question. Is it true that people teams are constituted of uh, folks that really like Soap operas, dramas, and gossip. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Did you just? I, make I would that? imagine like getting into this is my marketing brain. It's like, oh, I want to be on the people team because there's like all kinds of things that go on, and you're just like, wow, how could that be going on? And I get a front row seat to see it, and it's like being at a show. No, I would say that's okay. a very bad profile. There, I think there probably are people like that that maybe are drawn to this. But those are the people that's a very bad hire. profile for someone. <laughs> you don't want to hire them for the people. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not. not yeah, hire. that's okay. not a core competency. <laughs> okay, you can see I'm bad at this process already. The questions were bad. Um, question number two: During sheltering in place, any any special vices that have popped up? And I'll share mine if if you can't think of one. Ooh, um, that's a good one. Um, probably too much wine. Is that bad? <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of articles. The evening, on that. There's the a lot of articles because you're at home, and so yeah. you. I've since now like, but it's just easy to have that like Friday night. Glass of wine every night. I'm glad you qualified that with Friday night because now I was starting to think like, wait, did she drink a lot of wine before this podcast? (laughs) We're getting Lauren while she's Post work. I'm just trying to be real and honest here, folks. Okay. (laughs) Mine are um, the Trader Joe's equivalent to Fritos. I've been going through like three bags a week. Oh, see, that might be worse than the wine. (laughs) You get on Zoom and all you can hear is Daniel chewing them. Yeah. I I don't drink, so... I kind of feel entitled, like, 
you have your wine, I have my Fritos. Don't judge. Don't judge. <laughs> um, any Netflix shows we should be watching? Or Amazon Prime or Hulu? Or any other show? Um, I went back on Netflix and I started watching The Office from the very beginning. I hadn't done oh. that since. Um, I know that's obviously like the, probably the most watched show. Um, but I hadn't done that since... I hadn't watched The Office since it had aired. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to go back to the very beginning, you know, and that will be um, kind of, because they're 20 minutes, you know, so you can easily, you can get through them, you can watch two pretty easily. Um, So if you haven't done that, I think it's on Netflix through December. I highly recommend it because it's still hilarious. It holds up and it is really good, just complete, you know, you get your mind off everything. You have a laugh. It's, I, I honestly think it's great therapy and all of this. Yeah. My my 13-year-old son just plowed through the office. So yeah. we just went through that. And it's timely that you bring it up because as we speak today, um, and I, I won't share the date because um, the air date that we make this available is when we're actually recording. <laughs> uh, but uh, Space Force, a new Steve Carell show, has been made available on Netflix today. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you finish The Office, you could go check that out. Nice. Cool. Well, Lauren, we appreciate you taking some time to talk with us and putting up with my inane questions and sharing a little bit about you. Anytime. Anytime. So with that, I want to thank um, Lauren for, for joining us and uh, thank all of our happy viewers, hopefully happy viewers, um, for listening to our show. And stay tuned uh, for another telekinesis, which is coming soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye.